Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. My name is Mel Massengale. I'm one of the pastors here at Summit Church. And I just want to say thanks for worshiping with us today. I hope you had an incredible day so far, and I hope your day only gets better. If you're a guest with us today, if this is your first time, or maybe you've attended a few times, but you've never filled out a guest card, we'd love to get to know you a little bit. And the easiest way to do that is to find that guest card in the seat back in front of you, fill that out, and then at the end of our worship experience, stop by the information center and give that to them. They're going to answer any question you've got about the church, and they're also going to give you a free gift. So uh, take advantage of that. We'd love to get to know you a little bit. Stop by there. We also want to welcome all of you that are watching online right now. No matter where you may be or how you're joining us today, thank you for making the Summit a part of your day. So if you're watching on Facebook Live or maybe you're watching uh, from our website at summitpa.church, we are so grateful that you are making the Summit a part of your day today. Thank you for worshiping with us. If you would like to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can simply uh, search for us on those locations by searching Summit PA Church and you'll find us there. Uh, at any of those sites, and you can stay up to date with everything that's going on here at Summit Church. Uh, I do want to let you know, uh, we do have kids ministry available for kids from birth through fifth grade. If, uh, if you've got kids with you, that's great, but if you need to step out at any point during our worship experience, that is available out in the lobby. You can watch the service, or if you'd like to check your kids in to our uh, kids' center, uh, feel free to do that. Our kids' workers are back there. They uh, love kids, and they would love to minister to your kids um, today during our worship experience. I want to tell you about two things real quickly. Number one, uh, starting next week, we've got a new process that uh, we would like people to go through here at Summit, and it's called Growth Track. So if, especially if you're new to the church, uh, this is something that's a good step for you, or maybe you are, are someone who's been here a while and you're already plugged in and connected. We also would like you to do this as well, because even if you feel like you know all the answers and you've got it all together, this, is, this process is going to help you not just connect with the church, but figure out who you are in Christ a little more uh, efficiently, and so we can put you in the right place, connect you in the right place, and really release you into what God is truly calling you to do. So um, we help you get to know the church a little bit. Uh, we help you get to know yourself a little bit. So we do a spiritual gifts analysis during one of the weeks, and we also do, do a personality profile. And for some of you, that's a little terrifying, uh, but it's good because it really helps us to understand how we're wired by God. Uh, and, and then we walk through what it means to develop our giftings, and then we release you. We get you connected with team members uh, and team leaders who can plug you into the right place and release you into what God's called you to do. And so this is a four-week process. We'd love for you to get plugged into that and connected with that. You can start next week if you'd like. It's during our 11 o'clock worship experience, so you can uh, just simply go up to our youth auditorium uh, and join us for the 11 o'clock up there, and uh, we'll walk through the process, and you might say, Mel, who's leading that group? And uh, it'll be moderated by one of our staff every week, but uh, typically, like week one, is uh, you'll get a video message from me, and, uh, and so you're stuck with me. You can't escape me. No matter where you go, you're stuck with me. I'm sorry. Uh, and so I would love for you, though, to check that out. I really do think it's going to change our church uh, by getting plugged into this process, so get connected with that. Also, the other thing I want to mention to you that starts next week as well is we're beginning a new series there's been a little bit of confusion. Some of you have seen the, uh, the incredibly talented people in the pool karaoke video we did. Um, some of you have not seen that. Uh, it's no problem. Don't worry about it. But um, basically what we're doing is promoting a new series that we're starting next week. So we're finishing our current series today. And next week we start a new series called Love Song Lies. Uh, and the premise behind the series is that we all like love songs. 
Um, and there's love songs that appeal to us for whatever reason, but they're full of lies. Um, and nobody probably is going to die for you. This teenage boy is probably not going to die for the girl he loves. Uh, but I do know someone who did die for the people he loved. And so what we're going to do is compare the lies that we find in love songs to the, the truth that we find in the love of Christ. And so that's what we'll be doing for the month of February. Uh, and we're kind of treating this a little like we do our At the Movie series we do every year. This is not just for us. This is a tool for us to invite your friends. The people you know that don't come to church, don't, aren't interested in church, bring them for the series. Uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun, and there's invites just like this one out in the lobby. Take some with you. Invite the people you know in your work, um, in your neighborhood, and get them here, because what we're gonna do is they're gonna have a great time, and they're gonna be exposed to gospel truth that Jesus loves them, that he's crazy about them, that he gave his life for them. And so uh, I really believe this is gonna be a great series for us, so get connected with that during the month of February as well. And like I said, today we're finishing our series called New Year, New Yens, and uh, this series has been all about seeing us live 2018 as free people, that we're not going to be bound up by the things that bound us up before, uh, that the lies that we believed, um, the, the addictions that we've been in, the, the bondage, the different relationships maybe that were broken, that we felt trapped in, uh, those are the things that we feel like God is setting us free, and we're going to walk in freedom, and so over the last few weeks, we've talked about what does it look like to be set free? What does that mean for us as believers? And what we'll talk about just a little bit today is how to stay free. Um, the passage of Scripture that we've used kind of as our touchstone for this series is John chapter 8, and it starts in verse 31. It says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what Jesus says is that the key to freedom is abiding in his word, because when we abide in his word, we know truth. And that truth is what releases us from the bondage that we live in so many times. And that truth is Christ. In verse 33, it says, They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you'll become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So what we see here is Jesus kind of makes this explicit. The only way that we can know true freedom is through Jesus Christ. Um, there aren't enough 12-step programs in the world there is not enough counseling in the world that can ultimately set us free. It might give us relief. It might help us. And those things are all fine and good. We need those things. But at the end of the day, um, those things don't do enough to truly set us free. It's Jesus Christ who helps set us free in our life. Um, last couple of weeks, I know this makes people a little nervous. We've talked some about spiritual warfare. Uh, and that um, you know, two weeks ago, uh, I shared with you that... I believe Christians can be influenced by the demonic in our world. And this makes people a little nervous, but there's a passage of scripture I want to share with you. It's in Luke chapter 11, and Jesus is talking about this to some degree. And he says in verse 24, When an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Doesn't that just encourage you? <laughs> like, yes, I'm going to put that on my refrigerator, right? Um, this verse is a little bit unsettling, but what it's really trying to say is uh, that when God removes something from our lives, that void is going to be filled. 
So there's a void in our life created when God sets us free, and we have to choose how that is filled. So what happens is, so many times, uh, someone's well-intentioned, they go, God, I need freedom from whatever it might be. Uh, Let's just, for instance, an addiction. God, I'm addicted to this, I need to be set free. And God miraculously sets us free. And what happens is it creates a void in our life, and if that void isn't filled by us, it will be filled by something. So what typically happens so many times is somebody goes, man, Whew, I feel great. I don't know if I need to go to church anymore. Do I, do I really need to? I, I mean, I feel good. I'm set free. And what happens is they begin to drift back to their old life. So they drift back to old relationships, old habits, old addictions. And before they know it, they're, they're back in bondage. So what's happened is they didn't fill that void uh, with things like godly relationships, with, with things like prayer. With, and it doesn't sound like something a pastor would say, like, oh, you got to pray, you got to read your Bible. But it is true, if we don't fill that void with things like that that will edify us and bring us life, that void will be filled by something that we don't want it to be filled by. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul's talking to Galatian church, and he says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, this verse is so important. Um, a while back, we talked about slavery in the Roman Empire, how it looked different than it did in the Americas. Like when we think of slavery, uh, many times in the Roman Empire, people would willingly enter into slavery. So if, if they were destitute, if they didn't have family, uh, if they didn't feel like they had a strong future, they might enter into slavery for a wealthy family because they felt like that was a pathway to a future for them. Uh, they might learn a trade, they might learn a skill, and at some point, they would probably be uh, released from their slavery, set free. And so what Paul is saying here is, um, once you've been set free from your slavery, never get into a position where you are, are submitting yourself to slavery again. One of the reasons people would be enslaved, enslaved is because of debt. So they would get in such massive debt they could never pay it back. And so literally their kids would go into slavery or they would go into slavery to offset the debt. Uh, aren't you glad credit card companies can't do that? Um, <laughs> this church would be empty, right? We'd all be slaves. Um, that's what happened in, in this day and age. People would be indebted. And so what Paul is saying is whatever state got you into slavery, never let yourself get back into that state. And this is what happens. We, we just get sidetracked with life and we drift back to relationships. We drift back to habits. And before we know it, we have willingly submitted to a yoke of slavery again. And we think someone else is enslaved us, but the truth is many times we enslave ourselves by our own choices, our own actions. And so what we're looking at today, is it's not condemning. We're not trying to condemn you and say, you, I can't believe you're back in slavery. What we're trying to do is say, hey, we... We want you to be free. Jesus wants you to be free, but he doesn't want you to just free you. He wants you to stay free. He wants you to live your life in liberty and in freedom. So the question that is begging to be answered today is how do we stay free? Um, I want to tell you a story today, and it's a story Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. Uh, It's a story about a wealthy family. There was a a man who had two sons, and and the baby, the, the baby boy, was a little bit spoiled. Are there any um, youngest children, babies in the family here today? Yeah, not very many of us. I'm the baby of the family. Uh, like many babies of the family, I was accused of being spoiled. Was there any other babies that were accused of being spoiled? And we all know it's not true, but if you are not the baby of the family, you know it is true, right? Uh, and this is just the way it is in families. And sometimes the youngest in the family is a little bit entitled, 
And, uh, and it was no different in this passage that we see the story that Jesus told in, in Luke chapter 15. So he tells this story and he said, hey, there's this wealthy family and the baby, this baby boy, he gets to age and he says, hey dad, someday you're going to die and there's going to be an inheritance. I don't want to wait till you die, I want my inheritance right now. Doesn't that just sound like an ingrate? Don't you want to punch him in the throat as soon as you hear that part? Well, you don't get your inheritance, but I'll tell you what you do get, right? No, bam! Anyway. And so the father said, okay, you got it. And he gave him his inheritance. And the word tells us that he left home, went to a foreign country, and quickly squandered everything he had. And then, to make it worse, a famine came to the land that he was in, and... um, He basically was desolate, he was penniless, he had no support system, because what he had done is is he said, my wealth is my source, so I've got this wealth, this is where I find my identity, this is where I find my freedom, everything I need is found in my, my wealth. And all of a sudden his wealth was gone, and he had no support system, he had nothing And this is where we pick the story up uh, in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 15. It says, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Um... It's interesting because some of you have heard this story before. If you haven't, let me just walk through this with you just a little bit. Uh, This young man was raised in a good home. He was raised probably as a Jew because Jesus was telling this story so we can make some assumptions here. Um, And if he was raised as a Jewish young man in a wealthy home, he was raised with the knowledge of the law. So he was very well educated. And one of the things we see in Levitical law is that people who are Jewish can't partake of pork. They can't eat the, the, the flesh of pigs but because they look at pigs as filthy animals uh, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, and so if you would have told this young man, if you would have told him before he took his fortune and left home, if you would have said, hey, kid, guess what? There's going to be a day not too long from now. You're going to not have any money and you're going to be in a pig pen wanting to eat what the pigs are eating. He would have He would have been incredulous. He would have scoffed. He probably would have cursed you and said, that's crazy. I can't believe you would even say that. I would never do that. I would never be in that position. I would never let myself get there. But this is what slavery does. When we become enslaved to a mindset or an idea, when we become enslaved to an addiction, when we become enslaved to a a lie that we've believed, what happens is it will take us someplace that we never dreamed we would end up. I think probably most of us in this room uh, have done things in our life or been someplace in our life that we, we ended up and we went, how did I get here? How did I end up here? I can't believe that I would say something like that. I can't believe that I would act that way. I can't believe I would partake in this kind of behavior or activity. I can't believe it. How did I get here? And this is where this young man ended up. He, he realizes one day, I am feeding pigs. I just want to eat what they've got because I'm so hungry. And then it says he, come, he came to himself. He had this realization like, oh my gosh. If I was just back at my father's house, the, the servants eat better than this. I would be better taken care of as a servant in my father's house than I am here. See, he thought he was free because he had left his father's house. 
But what he did was he just shackled himself even more because of this lie that he had believed. And so what we want to walk through today is just basically three steps, how to stay free in our lives. And the first thing we see here is I have to admit that I need help. And this young man, it says he came to himself and realized, I can't get out of this situation on my own. I'm, I'm stuck here, and I can't fix this. So I, I need some help to make this right. And he said, if I was just in my father's house, things would be better. There's a passage in James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Confess your sins one to another. That's one that most of us do not get excited about, do we? Well, we're not like, that's the favorite thing for me to do. I want to confess my sins. And because primarily we've got a couple of ideas of what confession is. Uh, the first, maybe you grew up in a Catholic background, um, and, and we have a number of people in our church that have. And so a lot of times when we think of confession, we think of sitting with a priest and telling them all the bad stuff we've done. And then they absolve us of our sins. And, uh, and I want you to know um, what we believe here at Summit Church is that, um, that the veil between God and man has been torn down through the crucifixion of Christ, that there is no, no divide between us and God. We have access to our Heavenly Father. So when I confess my sins, I confess my sins to God. So he is the one who absolves me of my sins that I don't, I don't need to go to an intermediary. So if, if you're here today and you've sinned, you don't have to make an appointment with me to get your sins absolved. You can, you can simply pray to our Heavenly Father, and he's the one who does that. So we confess our sins to God, and that's important. But this is not saying to confess your sins to God. It says confess your sins one to another. So we think, well, if it's not that, then it must be, and this is what I assumed it was when I was a kid, that um, we would say, okay, pastor, I've got some sins that I need to confess. And then during the service, he'd go, now it's your turn. Come on up. And we would take turns. And okay, I just want to let you know I've coveted a little today. And, uh, you know, I also, um, I, I looked at, I had this thought about this person, and we go through all of our stuff. And thankfully, that's not what it's talking about either, because if it was, we would not have anybody in our church next week, would we? Because <laughs> um, none of us would want to do that, but that's not what it's talking about. When it says here, confess your sins one to another, what it's talking about is, is something much more intimate than that. It's not talking about confessing in a public setting. Uh, the word here for confess, it's a Greek word, and it actually means to acknowledge openly with transparency. Um, when, I'm, when I'm here on stage and I'm sharing the word of God with you, one of the things I resolved to do a long time ago was to be as, as um, authentic as I possibly could be. I want to be real. Um, I want my girls to see the same person here as they see at home. So there is no, I try to just be the same person all the time. It's just easier that way. And so, um, so some people like that, some people do not like that, and that's fine. But I just try to be real. This is who I am. But what I'm not is I'm not always transparent. Because there's a difference between being authentic and transparent. Transparent means we just put it all out there. And you do not want me to put it all out there, okay? Because I've got issues and I've got baggage and I don't mind sharing some of that with you, but that is, this isn't the right place for that, okay? I've got some people in my life that I will say, man, I'm really struggling in this area. Can I talk to you about it? Can, can I just be transparent with you? Can I just be real with you? Can I just, if we can say it in, in this terms, can I confess my sin to you? 
And I'm not confessing so that they can absolve me of my sins. I'm confessing because there's great power in confession. Because what happens is when we hide sin and we act like our lives are perfect and we don't have any problems, and of course I don't sin, I'm perfect, right? We do this, we put on this front that sin grows in strength and power in our lives while it's hidden. But the moment that we are laid open and that the light of Christ shines into us and all of a sudden every dark nook and cranny of our heart is exposed, that sin loses its authority, it loses its power, then there's freedom in that. Now, it's important for us to do this. The problem is we just don't want to because we don't want anybody to know that I'm not perfect because we want them to think what we put on social media is our real life, right? If, if it's on Instagram, it must be true, but we don't want people to know we got problems and issues that I struggle at times with things. So as a result, we don't confess our sin. Now, this is the thing. When we confess our sin to God, there's forgiveness of sin, but, but there's consequences when we don't confess our sins to others. When we don't have people in our lives that we can confess sin to, there's consequences. Because it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And this word one another means it's reciprocated. So what happens is, God wants us to be in covenant relationship with people where I can share my life with you, that I can be real and I can say, you know what, I'm struggling in this area of my life and and I've got a friend who is in covenant relationship with me and go, you know what, I get that. Um, I'm sorry you're dealing with that. Let me pray with you about that. Thank you so much. And then they go, you know what, I'm I'm sort of dealing with this issue in my life. I'm struggling with this sin. And I go, you know what, I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to believe for you, right? And we come together. And you know what the result of that is according to this passage? You'll be healed. That's what it says. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another another, that you may be healed. Now, this is the thing. I I truly believe many of us are forgiven, that, that we are redeemed, we're going to heaven. But since we've never confessed our sins to someone else, we've never had a conversation with someone and said, here's where I'm struggling. And here's the real issues I've got in my life and allowed them to pray for me. I, I can never be healed. So what happens is I'm forgiven, but I drag around this baggage of my sin and the pain and the hurt. All, am I going to heaven? Yeah, I'm going to heaven. But I've got this, these issues that are dragging me down. I'm not free from it. Does that make sense to anyone? And this is terrifying to us because we don't want people to know that we're imperfect. But the truth is, we are all imperfect. I've got the mic not because I'm perfect. I'm just the the lead imperfect person of this church. Does that make sense? We've all got issues. We've all got baggage. But what we have to do to get free from that is be willing to confess our sin and say, I need help. I can't do this on my own. That's why small groups are so important. Small group semesters are starting right now. You can sign up for one. And they, let me just help you. The first group that you meet with is not going to say, okay, Mel said we got to confess our sins, so we're going around the circle. That's not how it works, right? How it works is you build relationship, you build trust, you build rapport with people. And as you get into relationship with people, you know who you can trust and who you can be yourself with, and that's where you begin in those relationships. And you go, hey, can, can we meet for coffee sometime? I, I just want to talk to somebody. And it starts like that. And that's how we can begin to get free. So get signed up for a small group. Get signed up for an equipped group, one of the groups that meets here at the church, whether it's financial peace or the group we're doing on freedom. If you like this topic of freedom and you want to go deeper with it, Kim and I are doing a, a group for 12 weeks here in this room on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. You can sign up for it at the Info Center on our website. Um, but get plugged into a group that will help you get 
free. So the first thing we do is we admit that we need help. The second thing we do is repent to God and to people. See, we're good at the first part. We kind of stink at the second part. Um, This is what it says in Luke 15. We continue the story of this son. It says in verse 18, he says, I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he goes to his father, or he's going to go to his father. He resolves in his mind, I'm going to go to him and say, God, I mean, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. So what is he saying? I'm repenting to God and I'm repenting to you because I've wronged you. It is so hard to tell someone you're sorry, isn't it? Because again, we're dealing with pride. You're like, it's not hard for me. Yes, it is hard for you. Bunch of liars. Pride and lying. We're giving an altar call for that right now, right? We don't want to say we're sorry because we want to feel like we're right all the time. And so it's hard to say you're sorry. Have you ever had to say you're sorry to your child? Man, that is tough. When you got to go to your six-year-old and say, hey, daddy, daddy, daddy was an idiot. Daddy shouldn't have acted like that. Daddy lost his temper. Would you forgive me? Man, that is a beating, right? But it's important for us to repent, not just to God, but to the people around us. And this word repent kind of freaks us out because it sounds old school. It sounds hellfire and brimstone because we think of a, a preacher who's standing up front and he's screaming and spit just going everywhere. Repent, right? That's what we think of. Um, but this word repent is really important. It's used, it's used often in the Old Testament and it's used in the New Testament as well. And the meaning shifts just slightly from the Old Testament to New. In Ezekiel chapter 14 God is speaking to the prophet Ezekiel, and he's giving him instruction on what to share with the nation of Israel. And God says to him, um, thus said the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all your abominations. So what God is saying is, uh, and this word repent just simply means, the Hebrew word is shub, and it means to return or go back. And so what God is saying is, hey, tell the people of Israel to go back where they started, because where they started was they were the nation of God. And what happened is they strayed from there. And so God's telling Ezekiel, tell them to come back. Get back to where they started. And not just turn, but turn their attention. So turn their faces away from their false gods and their abominations. So what it's saying is turn your attention back to God. So don't just, don't just do it in, in, in action, but do, let your heart turn back to God as well. Um, and so this is an idea that's commonly communicated when we talk about repentance, that in a very subtle, I mean, a very simple way, it just means to turn around. The direction you're going, turn the other direction. So when I was a youth pastor, I shared this idea, and I just told the kids, I said, listen, God wants you to do a 180 in your life. And a very well-intentioned young lady said, I don't want to do a 180, I want to do a full 360. And I was like, well, I don't know that that's helpful for you, really. (laughs) You'll just go where you're going now. So... Anyway, she was very passionate. Math was not her strong suit. (laughs) So in a very simple way, repenting just means to turn from the direction you're going and go the other direction. Uh, But what we see in the New Testament, Jesus, one of the very first sermons he preaches in Matthew chapter 4, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this word repent here in the Greek, it means to change one's mind for the better, but then it also means to amend with abhorrence of one's past sins. Now, this is, this is so important. I want you to catch this. Um, when I was a kid and I would get in trouble um, for doing something to my sister, because I was not nice to my sister many times, um, I would get in trouble and I would apologize to my sister to simply avoid the punishment. 
Does anybody follow that? Like, say you're sorry to your sister. I'm sorry, but it's just to keep mom from whooping me. Because I grew up in Oklahoma, and there are spankings, and then there are whoopings, right? I was never spanked. I was whooped. And so I didn't want to be whooped. And so I would say whatever I had to say to avoid punishment. So I would apologize, but in my heart, I wasn't thinking, man, I was wrong. That was stupid, right? But what we see here, what Jesus says is repent. And the word he uses for repent is that we recognize that our sin was so egregious and so grievous to God that we go, I I don't ever want to go back to that place. I realize the pain that this is causing and I never want to act that way again. I never want to think that way again. So God, I don't want to just change, but I I want to change so much that I never, ever, ever go back to that again. Um, This is what God desires for us. He wants us to live our lives where when we repent, we go, gosh, I recognize how harmful this sin is for for me and for my family, for the people around me that I love, and I'm gonna avoid this. I'm gonna abhor this sin. I'm never gonna go back to it. It's not enough for us to just simply say, boy, that was bad, I shouldn't do that anymore. It's gotta, this this feeling has to be deep-seated within us that, it's almost, it's almost as if, um, have, you, have you ever gotten food poisoning in a restaurant? And then you decided, I don't care if it was a fluke, I'm never going back to that restaurant again, right? It's almost as if we're idiots and we keep getting food poisoning at the restaurant and keep going, well, maybe this time it'll be different. And every time we keep getting food poisoning and we keep going back to it over and over. But at some point, we just have to stop and go, you know what? This is ridiculous. This is killing me. I am never, ever, ever going back to that old way and that old life. And we prevent ourselves from drifting back to that place. So we repent to God and to the people around us. And the third thing is simply we choose to receive God's truth. Um, I, th- I think a byline for this would be we reject the lies of the enemy daily. Because even if we receive God's truth, it's easy for us to continue to hear those lies and drift back to those lies. It's interesting because in the story of this young man in in Luke 15, he says, um, this is what I'm going to say to my father. I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, right? Now, just call me a servant. I'll just treat me as one of your hired servants. And it's interesting because the father, when the son is saying that, he stops him. And he says in verse 22, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. So how much do you think this blew the son's mind? Because in his mind, he's thinking, my dad will never forgive me. I can't believe Um, what I've done, the money that I've blown, the trust that I've lost, the time that I was away, that I was, I wasn't, I wasn't calling home, you know, there's no relationship. My dad's going to hate me. Maybe, best case scenario, he'll let me be a servant in his house. When he comes home, we see in this passage that um, scripture actually tells us that the father was waiting and he was looking on the horizon for his son. So when he sees his son walk into view, he wasn't standing there with his arms crossed, tapping his foot. Any of you ever been late for curfew? 
And that's probably what the son was expecting to experience when he came home. The father with his arms crossed, tapping his feet with a judgmental look on his face, saying, I knew it. I knew you'd do this. Come crawling back home. I'll let you be a servant, but you don't deserve it. But what did he experience? Scripture tells us when his father saw him in the distance, he ran to his son and met him. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him. And he didn't say, you're lucky that I'm your dad. What did he say? I've got my son back, right? And he said, hey, put a robe on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. And all these are symbolic uh, of different things. We won't get into all of it today. But what he's saying is my son is home. And see, one of the things we have to understand is the father was more concerned with what, he was, what was found than what was lost. He wasn't saying, man, you blew all my money. You took all this time. How dare you act like that? Do you know how worried your mother was? He said, no, I don't care about any of that. I found my son. My son is home. See, the, the son was thinking, I'll be lucky if I can even be a servant. That was the truth that he received. That was the truth that he applied to his heart. I am such a sinner. I'm so horrible. I'm so terrible. I will be lucky if I can even work in their house. But the truth was, the father said, no, 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 you're not a servant. You're my son. You're not some slave. You're not some hired hand. You are my child. And some of us have got this idea in our head that we have gone so far, God could never love us. I mean, yes, he'll love us, but he won't ever love us like a son or a daughter. He could never receive us because we've done too much, man. I've, I've got a crazy history, and how could God forgive that? But yet, when we start to make our way home, our Heavenly Father will run to meet us. He will wrap his arms around us and hold us close to his chest. And he'll celebrate because his child has come home. <laughs> not with judgment, not, not with a heart that'll punish, but with a heart that wants to restore. Um, lost children are all a parent can think about. Um, <laughs> When our girls were little, Abby was like an escape artist, uh, and she would, uh, she would get away from us like at Target, okay, and, and she was fast and quick, man, and she would dart away from us, and she was gone, and she would hide, and this child, she doesn't know how to be silent, even now, she's 15, she can't be quiet, except she could when she was hiding from us in the clothing rack at Target, it was crazy, so we would go looking for her, we'd be calling her name, and she would be gone, man. Like, it was like the fugitive, right? She was out of there. And we would stop people and go, hey, have you seen our daughter? She's, you know, a pink outfit and, you know, describe her. Have you seen her? No. They'd go about their business. No, no, no. My, my daughter, have you seen her anywhere? No, I, I haven't seen her. And they would keep shopping. And you'd ask somebody else, hey, have you seen my daughter? She is, she's got away from us, and you try not to get the judgmental, like, you're a terrible parent, glare, but at that point, you know what I mean? Like, you're just looking for your kid. You don't even really care. You're like, I'm just looking for my child. And, it, and it's really frustrating because people are disinterested. And you're like, this is, my child has gotten away from me, okay? And I need help finding my child, and nobody's interested. And it just makes you want to punch somebody, right? Because you're like, don't you care that my child has run away from me? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I haven't seen her. 
And what you want to do is get on the speaker and say, everyone form up, we're holding hands at the front of the store, we're sweeping the whole store, right? We're knocking down clothing racks, whatever it takes to find my child. But what you encounter is people who are disinterested in finding your child, and it's frustrating. And what I think about sometimes is that our Heavenly Father can't help but think about his lost children. And when, when he says to us, my child is lost, can you help me find him? We go, oh, good luck, God. I hope that works out. That's not my responsibility. That's somebody else's responsibility. I'm busy. I got stuff going here, God. How frustrated do you think God must get when he's passionately pursuing his children, when he's looking for the lost children and, and people like us go, well, I'm too busy to help. I don't really have time. That kind of gets into my schedule a little bit, God. I don't know. See, God can't get his lost children off his mind. He's consumed with the idea of finding that which is lost. If you look at this passage of scripture in Luke chapter 15, before he tells this story, Jesus tells a story about a sheep who has been lost. So there's a shepherd with 100 sheep, 99 are found, one has gotten away, and he leaves the 99 to find the one. This is the God we serve. He will leave the found things to find the lost things. Uh, the, he tells a story about a woman who lost a coin and she scours the house looking for this coin. And when she finally finds it, she says, we're having a party because I found my coin. What God is trying to tell us and what Jesus is telling us in this story is that the lost things have value even if they don't seem to. And so what you have to understand today is if you're in bondage, if you're far from God, God doesn't look at you and go, man, what a terrible sinner. Maybe if they're lucky, I can love them. What he's doing is looking for you. He's looking at the horizon, waiting for you to appear so he can run to you and throw his arms around you and say, you are my son. You are my daughter. That's what he wants to do. But we believe the lie that we're just a servant. But you're not a servant. You're a son or daughter of God. He wants to place you in that position. He wants you to know who you are. And the problem is um, we think what we've done defines who we are. We go, oh, well, I'm, I'm a cheater because I cheated on my wife. Oh, I, I'm, I'm a liar because that's what I've done. I'm an alcoholic but that doesn't define who you are. See, what we have to understand is what we have done does not define who we are in Christ. He doesn't care what you've done. He cares who you are and who you are as his child. I want to read a couple of verses to you, just a couple of ideas. I'm going to share some verses with you. I'm going to do this rapid fire. Uh, so if you're taking notes, you're going to have to write fast. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 7, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, Colossians 3, verse 12, and 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 all declare that I am greatly loved by God. Ephesians 2, 10 says, I am his workmanship, created in Christ unto good works. Uh, Revelation 12, 11 says, I am an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of my testimony. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, I am part of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a purchased people. Ephesians 1, 7 says, I am forgiven of all my sins and washed in the blood. Colossians 1.13 says, I'm delivered from the power of darkness and brought into God's kingdom. Colossians 2.10 says, I'm complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, I'm a new creation in Christ. And Romans 8.17 says that I am a joint heir with Christ. I'm not a servant. I'm a child of God. You're, you're not just a slave. You're not just a servant. You're not who your past says you are. You're a child of God. Today, I don't know 
what bondage you've walked in, what bondage maybe you've submitted yourself to. I don't know what lies you've believed. I don't know what addiction you may be having in your life that you're battling. But what I know today is that does not define you. Today there's freedom available, but that freedom is only found through Christ. Um, I want to share one more verse with you. I didn't share this with the other services, but um, a couple weeks ago I was reading a passage in Genesis, and Jesus, uh, God is talking to Abraham, and he's telling him about what his future holds, and here's what I'm going to do with you, and, and he describes the nation of Israel going into captivity in Egypt, and, and God says to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, they're going to be slaves, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. So he says, the people are going to be afflicted, they're going to be slaves for 400 years, but listen to this, but I will bring judgment on the nation, I'll bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards, listen to this, they will come out with great possessions. What God was saying is, hey, your slavery is not going to be in vain. Because when you are set free, you're going to have something you didn't have before. See, God is not setting us free just simply for the sake of freedom. God is setting us free so that we can share freedom with the people around us. So I want you to hear me today. You might say, I'm comfortable where I'm at. I don't know that I really need to be set free. But there is someone in your life that needs you to be set free so you can set someone else free. They need you to be an example. They need to see what freedom looks like so that they can experience it. So don't you dare say, I'm gonna stay where I'm at. I'm comfortable in my bondage. I'm comfortable where I'm at because Christ came and died not just so you could go to heaven, but so you could be set free so that those around you could be set free as well. Let's pray together. God, I'm so grateful for your spirit. I'm so grateful that you didn't just send your son to, to die so that I could go to heaven, but God, you want us to live an abundant life. You want us to be free. You want us to be vessels of liberty in this world to declare your freedom to the people around us. So God, I pray for the people in this room that are in bondage, first of all, to sin. God, I pray today would be the day of liberty for them, the day of freedom for them, to experience true life and true freedom in you. God, I pray for those that are Lord, in bondage to addiction or to lies that they've believed or to habits or whatever it might be, God, I pray today that you would break the chains off them. And God, I pray that we would stay free, that we would live a life of freedom and model that for the people around us. Let us not be complacent in the place we are, but God, let us long for more in you. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here and you say, Mel, you know what, I'm not walking with Jesus. I'm not in a relationship with Jesus. The truth is I'm far from God, but today I wanna to come home. Today, I wanna come home, not as a slave, but as a son of God, as a daughter of God. Today, I wanna to make things right with God. I wanna repent before him. If that's you, I'm not gonna make you come forward. I just wanna pray with you where you're at. So if that's you, would you be bold enough just to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Thank you. A couple hands here on my left. Thank you. In the center section, three hands. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. On my right, over here. I see you, sir. Yeah, up in the balcony. Two hands up there. Thank you, guys. Thank you. In the back, I see you, sir. On my left. Awesome. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? See, that's me. Pray for me, Mel. Thank you. I see you in the center section. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. 
I'd like every person in this room, whether you raised your hand or not, just to pray this really simple prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for giving your life to pay the price for my sins. Today, I'm giving you everything I am. Use it for your glory. I'm never going back to my old bondage or my old life, but from this day forward, I am free and I am yours. Thank you for loving me. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Now listen to me. Listen to me. If you made that decision today, uh, whether you raised your hand or not, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I just want you to know Scripture tells us that you're a new creation, that the old is gone, the new has come. And so what that means is you might not, um, your circumstances might not be different. You might not feel fundamentally different, but you are different today. Um, you might still feel like a slave a little bit, but I'm telling you today, uh, God doesn't see that. What God sees is a son or daughter. So I'm excited for you. I'm, I'm excited to see what God's going to do in your life. And we want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. And the simplest way to do that is to take the card that's in the seat back in front of you and, and simply fill it out. On one side, it says salvation. On the other side, it says need prayer. If you fill out the side of the card that says salvation and drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave today, one of our team is going to reach out to you and they're going to help you take the next step. Uh, we're going to help you get plugged into a group like Starting Point. Uh, pastor Dick is our associate pastor. He leads that every Wednesday night. That's for people who are new to their faith or returning to their faith. Uh, we'll get you connected with that. We'll get you connected with resources. They're going to help you grow. Um, but we want to get you plugged into the right places that are going to help you become who God wants you to be. If you're watching online or maybe you're here in the room and you can't reach one of the cards, you can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're going to respond back to you. We're going to get you everything you need to begin growing in your faith. So again, thank you for responding today. I think there's a celebration in heaven because of what's going on right here today. So thank you so much. Here's what's going to happen now. These guys are going to lead us in a final song. We're going to worship together. And while we do, our prayer team is going to make their way to the front of this room. So they'll be on either side of the stage. So if you need prayer for any reason at all today, as we begin to sing, step out from your seat, find one of our prayer team members, let them agree with you in prayer. And then in just a moment, Pastor Pastor Christina Butterworth, our kids' pastor, is going to come, and uh, she'll close us out and dismiss us. So why don't you stand your feet all over the room? We'll worship together one more time before we go. Guys, I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you.